Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Uh, my name is Andrew Jones. I'm the campus pastor here at the Leewood campus. If I sound sick, it's because I am. Um, I'm, it's going to be okay. I made it through first service, so I think we're good. Uh, though this morning, our, our pastoral resident, uh, his name is Jordan Green, he asked me, what do I do if you, if you drop dead on stage? And I said, thanks for that. That's helpful. It's good. We're, every question's on the table here at Christ Community, I guess. Um, well, I've actually been a pastor uh, on staff here at Christ Community for almost eight years, and a pastor for eight years, which um, it sounds short in one way, but to me, it, that, you know, it sounds kind of long. Um, and I've, I was reflecting on that this week as we prepared for this, this message, and uh, I've, you know, I've, I've still got a lot to learn, but I've, you know, I've learned a lot over that time. And uh, one thing that's really changed as I was thinking about it uh, over those eight years is really my biggest questions and concerns from, from when I started to now. And when I started, uh, a lot of my biggest fears were, were around thoughts like, you know, what if I'm a boring speaker or what if I have to make a, an unpopular decision or I make, you know, it's, and, and people don't like me or, what, you know, what if I'm just not good at this? What if I get into it and it's like, man, I'm really, you know, just questions like that were my biggest fears and, and preoccupation. And it's not that I'm totally over all that stuff. I, you know, sometimes that, but it's not nearly as scary as it used to be for me. And, and now I know better. Now I know the big questions for pastoral ministry. Like, did the coffee and the donuts show up? Is, are people going to be okay on Sunday morning? I know. Thanks for that laugh. I know I, I use that joke all the time. Uh, I just can't get over it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> okay, seriously, in all seriousness, biggest fear for real is this. Is wh- what if I'm wrong? What if I blow it? What if I lead in a direction that's bad? What if I say something on behalf of God that is not true? What if I make a decision or a mistake that destroys a faith community? And it's, it's truly terrifying for me to think about. But worst of all, kind of once I've worked through those questions, the, what, worst of all is when you, you know, what if I am those things, right? I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm ignorant, I'm disingenuous, but I can't see it. That really scares me. What if I'm blind to it? What if I'm headed to disaster and I'm leading others with me and, and I have no idea? And that, that just gives me the willies just thinking about it. That scares me. And we all, I think, have stories related to this. We all know someone or have been through something ourselves personally when your church is led by bad, blind leaders. I only went to church for a few years growing up, probably around nine or ten before my parents uh, left the church, and then I really didn't go back until much later in life. But I don't, have a, I don't remember a lot of that time <clears throat> at that church. I remember, you know, flannel graph and playing the role of sheep in the story of Zacchaeus. I remember that. Uh, but, you know, even today, if I, if I ask my parents about that time, I can still hear the pain and hurt when they describe uh, being personally attacked by leaders and congregants at their church over a disagreement, and it was all done in the name of Jesus. You can still hear that. And we have stories like that. We all do. Many of you have told me these stories. Stories of spiritual abuse and manipulation, of lies and hypocrisy, stories of moral failure, toxic churches, and lousy pastors. And many of you, I know, are still trying to deal with the fallout from that. You're still trying to pull apart the goodness and the beauty and the trustworthiness of Jesus from your life experience. And that, I hate that. That kills me. 
And that's bad enough that this happens to us, right? But man, what keeps me up at night is when I think about those stories, those pastors, those churches, those congregations, most of them thought that they were right. They did nothing wrong. And if you disagreed with them, it was your your problem and not theirs. And Jesus calls them blind guides. They are a thousand percent wrong, but they cannot see it themselves. And they're leading other people to destruction. And if they're allowed to get away with it, they will take everybody down with them. And that is scary. I never want to be that pastor. I know you don't want to be that church. And if you're new or visiting this morning, I know you don't want to attend that church. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. This is not a modern problem. Jesus actually talks about this spiritual abuse and toxic faith. It's an old, old thing. And in Matthew 23, which uh, we're about to to read together is where we're going to be this morning, uh, Jesus addresses this issue head on. If you've been with us since the new year, we've been in the book of Matthew, specifically in the last week of Jesus' life, which I tried to warn you early on is not an upper, it's a downer. Okay, this is another kind of one of those texts. It's a hard text. Jesus uses some of the... Uh, some of his most precious time left on earth, okay? He's days away from dying. And he uses that time in Matthew 23 to talk about the danger of spiritual abuse. It is that important to him. And he goes right after the Pharisees and scribes who are the religious leaders and spiritual abusers of his day. And he tells his disciples and his followers and anyone who will listen, do not follow them and do not lead like them and do not be like them. So we haven't read the text yet. I did that on purpose. I wanted to hold off for just a second because this is just about, I wanted to frame it for you just a little bit. This is, this is about as angry as Jesus gets in the Gospels. Just warning you. You will be hard-pressed to find another passage as damning as this one. And I wanted us, in, the light, in light of that, to notice something together. Jesus' anger, right? He's really at his angriest here. His anger is not against the outsiders. You ever notice that? He's not angry with people who don't believe, like atheists. He's not angry at the sinners, the pagans, the Gentiles. His anger isn't directed against Rome or the corrupt King Herod or any of the other bad leaders of his day, and there were many. His anger is directed against the toxically religious. It's against the spiritual abuse of the Bible scholars of his day. And let's not forget that no one gets as upset over toxic faith and abuse as Jesus. Because you're about to hear it. Nobody. Let's read what he says. If you brought your Bible, turn to Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, chapter 23. Uh, I'm going to read for, for a while. It's, it's, it's harsh. If you get lost, that's okay. We're going to talk more about it. But here's, as, as we read, I want you to keep this kind of big idea in mind. Here's what I think is at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us this morning. Okay, here it is. You become like who you follow. So choose wisely. You become like who you follow, so choose wisely. All right, now Matthew 23. <clears throat> Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi, 
for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a single convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. This is the word of the Lord. There's some passages where that thanks be to God is sometimes hard to say, right? This is one of them. I don't want to overcomplicate this. There's a lot of text to cover there. You, you heard it. So here's where we're going, okay? I, I want to see from Jesus what makes for a bad spiritual leader. He gives a lot of information here, but there are some key characteristics I want us to see. And I'm going to call that section, spiritual leaders are the worst when. And there's four of those. And then I want us at the end to think about a couple of ways we can get better at avoiding this together. And that's what, that's what I want to do. Does that sound good? You with me so far? Okay. First thing Jesus says here, 
first characteristic. Spiritual leaders are the worst when they are obsessed with their own importance. Their own importance. It's a really bad sign when your spiritual leader is obsessed with his or her power or influence or image or popularity or authority. Jesus puts it this way. He says, they love the place of honor at the dinner table. They have assigned seating, right, in the synagogue, in the church. They like being noticed. They love the title. Call me rabbi. Call me teacher. Jesus says, in my church, in my community, don't let anyone call you rabbi. You are all brothers. Now, Jesus is overstating a bit. It's not that titles are inherently bad. But he's making this point. The day that a title becomes abusive or manipulative or self-serving, don't use it. And watch out for the person who does because they're dangerous. Don't follow them. Don't be like them. But it's so easy for us, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to be a pastor or a church leader to, to, to feel tempted to attention or title or accolade or praise. Jesus says we are to live completely opposite of that. That the Christian community is totally different. The greatest among you shall be your servant. That's verse 11, right? Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says you are to be servants, not narcissists. And really, he's so right. The best leaders in the world, okay, church or not, are servants. Have you ever noticed that? People, people are drawn to that. The best churches in the world scramble for last place. They share credit when things are going well, and they take responsibility when things are going poorly. And they practice together the discipline of being small, of doing good in secret, not to be seen. I want to be a church like that, where anyone and everyone is welcome to come meet Jesus, where we point to him and not to ourselves. That's what I want. I think that's what you want to because spiritual leaders and churches who follow them are the worst when they are obsessed with their own importance. And let me just tell you, ask you, don't let Christ's community get away with this. If you ever sense this happening, confront us. And if we don't respond, run. Let's never become like that. Okay, second thing. Spiritual leaders are the worst when they are sincere but sincerely wrong. And this one is so deceptive when they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And we often use, simil- we use this language, right, when we're following someone, we're listening to someone that we know we shouldn't. We say things like, well, he means well. She's so nice, though. They prayed about it, so it's okay. It must be the right decision. Right? They, love, they, they love us, I know that. They're doing their best. I understand that, but sincerity counts for nothing if you are wrong. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would to enter in. They're thinking, we don't do that. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You travel across sea and land to make a single convert. And when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now notice something about this. Look how zealous the Pharisees are. Jesus is not questioning, right, their work ethic. They'll travel sea and land to make one convert. That's a great fundraising stump speech, isn't it? 
We'll go anywhere just for one soul, one person. He does not question their zeal or their sincerity. But he says, all you've done is made someone twice as much a child of hell as yourself. That's scary. It made me think <clears throat> back in 2009. You remember all that trouble with Toyota? Remember the um, uncontrollable acceleration? You guys remember that story? Made pretty big news uh, across the, the country. Toyota, after, after, after all was said and done, was forced to recall 10 million vehicles and pay a fine of more than a billion dollars and settle you know, countless lawsuits. And the consensus was, at the end of all of that, that there was something horribly wrong with these really popular cars, except there wasn't. <laughs> Do you know that? Study after study proved that even in those cars that were the, que- the questionable ones, no matter what, if you brake while you were accelerating, no matter what speed, the brakes win. Every time. The brakes always beat the motor. And they actually did experiments where they would go 60 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, hit the brakes, and the car would stop every time. What they, what they figured out is that they believe it was driver error. As panicked drivers were actually slamming on the gas, convinced it was the brake. And think how scary that is. People died doing that. Sincere but wrong. And here are the Pharisees, they're pressing on the gas, they're convinced it's the brake with all of Jerusalem in the back seat. And countless of religious leaders since have done the same thing. Don't get in that car. Today, the way I see this uh, play out the most is when you hear the statement at a church, uh, God told me. God told me. Especially when you hear it from leadership. Okay, nothing stops a conversation, dissuades pushback or disagreement, and manipulates God's people more than that statement. God told me. And nine times out of ten, when it's said, it's sincere. It's, me- it's, 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 it's meant to be true, it's, it's, but it can be so abusive. Now, I'm not saying God cannot teach or guide. He, he can and does. He, but he gave us gifts to test our sincerity, right? That's part of what this book is for, to test your sincerity. Is it true to this word? The other gift he gave is the gift of the church community. Is there agreement among God's people about this decision, about this direction? Those are gifts. And when you're at a place or a community where those gifts are disregarded in favor of a vision from a spiritual leader, run. Run. How many times have I heard that? I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here. Seriously, I, I just want us to be wise. Leaders and churches are at their most dangerous when they are sincere but sincerely wrong. Third thing, spiritual leaders are worst when they are passionate, but mostly about the small stuff, the small stuff. Lots of passion, lots of fire, but very little light. Here's how Jesus puts it in verse 23. He says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Those you ought to have done without rejecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, basically, the Pharisees, right, they're constantly arguing about religious minutia. 
that's kind of their, like, religious lawyers. Okay, you know, what, and, and specifically here, you know, what does the tithe apply to? Does it apply to this spice, but not this one? Do I give 10% of this, but not that? They tended to go above and beyond. They gave 10% of, of everything they would have considered to be wealth. And I, because I know there's a sick, twisted mind in here that's going to start tithing spices in our worship box, <laughs> don't do that, please. It's not fair to the volunteers who help with that. <laughs> Jesus says, you're straining out the gnat, right? The gnat is the smallest creature uh, that a Jew was not allowed to eat. That was not kosher. He says, you'll, you'll strain out the gnat, but you'll swallow the camel, which is one of the largest creatures that a Jew was not supposed to eat. You see the point he's making? He's saying you, they're so focused on these small matters, they're blind to the fact that they're actually oppressing people instead of spiritually liberating them. They show no mercy to those who are far from God, which is their mission. They are to unreligious people. They've lost sight of the heart of their calling as spiritual guides to connect people to God. They push them away. Okay, bad spiritual leaders can do this. And in my experience, this, this looks like adding to the gospel, adding to the good news we believe. Here's what I mean. You hear something like, to be a real Christian, you need to love Jesus and vote a certain way. And if you don't, you're either not a Christian or you're a really, really bad Christian. You got to love Jesus and raise your kids like this. This is what it looks like. You got to have Jesus plus no alcohol. Don't touch it. Right? You need the gospel of forgiveness and you need Calvinism. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you're, you're probably fine. or whatever secondary theological point that you want to make. Okay, now hear, hear me. It's okay to have a personal discipline. It's okay to have opinions on things. That's fine. But don't add them to Jesus. Churches and leaders that, like this, they tend to, you'll notice, they turn inward and forget their calling, which is not simply to personal holiness, which the Pharisees were obsessed with, but to love and compassion and justice for those who do not look or think or act like we do. We can get really good as a church at straining out the gnat and swallowing a camel. Tom talked about this last week, if you were here, and I loved the way he put it. He said the main thing in life, in leadership, in the church, is keeping the main thing the main thing. That's why I, I personally, I'm so grateful for the accountability I get as a teacher here at Christ Community. We gather together every Monday morning, afternoon, all the teachers across our campuses with our worship leaders and our pastoral residents, and we talk about the sermon that's upcoming. And I cannot tell you how much easier it would be for me to drift without those voices in my life. How long before I would become a Pharisee? I'm capable of that. More than capable of that. Jesus says, don't be like them. Passionate. But about the small stuff. Okay, fourth thing Jesus says, spiritual leaders are the worst when they're focused on the outside and not the inside. This is a theme Jesus has come back to with the religious teachers over and over and over again. It seems to be his biggest problem with them. Uh, what this boils down to really, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is, is when spirituality becomes an act. When it becomes more important to look the part than be the part, than live the part. 
And so spiritual communities like that, they, everybody pretends you can talk about sin, but only in a very abstract way, or when you're talking about them, whoever them happens to be. And then confession and repentance and honesty, they're minimized because that would admit that you've done something wrong. And the leaders rarely model that. And so going to church is right, it becomes about putting on the right face and the right clothes and the right words and faking it for an hour. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Now, I hate to say this, but this tends to be a spiritual problem, not simply in our leadership, but in our, our context, I think, in, in the suburbs. I think this tends to be a suburban problem. How many homes and families and marriages in our community are beautiful on the outside, but inside are horrifying? How many of us come to church ready to look the part, but would be terrified if someone saw inside of our lives and our hearts? And make no mistake, that's where the problem is. It's in the heart. It's inside. But we are so scared, and I think especially in our context, to invite people in, to invite Jesus in, that we become whitewashed tombs without even knowing it. Now, this is probably a terrible idea, <clears throat> and it, it's wildly inappropriate for a lot of reasons, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Just bear with me. So what if during our stand and greet, right, where we stand up and you say hi to someone, what if during that time, instead of just saying hi, we actually named our biggest problem, struggle, or fear to our neighbor, right? Hi, I'm Andrew. I, I'm deathly afraid of failure. It's great to meet you. Thanks for being here, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm Debbie. I, sometimes I don't believe God loves me or if he's even there. I hope you enjoy your worship this morning, <laughs> right? If your name is Debbie, I'm sorry. It was the first name, name that came to my mind. So these are fictional characters, just so you know, right? That would be awkward, and that's why we couldn't do it, but wouldn't it kind of be a relief too? Isn't there a part of you that's like, man, if I could just get that out of the way, how much <laughs> the weight that would come off my, it's hard being a whitewashed tomb. It's hard. No one likes that. But there are leaders in churches who want that and they encourage it. They have no accountability or transparency in their own lives. And so no one who follows them wants it either. Or it only applies to them and not to the leader. We, we want to be a place not where sin is okay, because it's not okay, but where authenticity is, where honesty is okay, where you can confess your struggles and your doubts, where we address what's in here together rather than just looking apart. A safe place of recovery, right, for broken people. Because anything less than that is toxic, and it doesn't work anyway. Now, we have to take this seriously, okay? For the Pharisees and the scribes, you hear it in Jesus' tone. It's almost too late for them. They don't get it. Even Jesus says to them here, how on earth are you going to avoid being sentenced to hell? But then Jesus takes it a step further, and he goes on to say, because of their spiritual malpractice, all of Jerusalem is going down with them. So many will reject Jesus because of their example. They're driving toward the cliff, with all of these people in tow. And it's terrifying. I don't want to be driving the bus. 
when it goes over the cliff. I don't think you want to be on the bus when that happens. So we have to choose wisely because we become who we follow. Now here's the thing. Jesus gives us a glimmer of hope here that we, we desperately need. And he points to the only solution to toxic faith. He points to it here in this text. Pastor or not, this is our solution. And I'm going to let the, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get the surprise out of the way, okay? The answer is Jesus. <laughs> it's always Jesus. Jesus says, follow me instead. But I want you to look at how we get there because that's what's so interesting to me. Look, look at how Jesus ends this painful diatribe against the religious leaders. Uh, I didn't read it, uh, but it's, it's right after where I finished. So he's, Jesus looks out to Jerusalem, right? This city, this is a city that basically hates him and wants him dead. It's like a really, really bad church. And you can see the tears in his eyes, as, as, and you can hear the pain in his voice. Look, look at verse 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. That last line kills me. You are not willing. Jesus is saying, look at the imagery. He's saying how like a mother has found her lost children. That's how I long to gather you up under my wings. How I wanted you to follow me instead, but you are not willing. So how do we follow him instead? How do we become and stay a church that follows Jesus instead of all these other things? And there's a lot we could say here, but here... Here are three quick things. First, know and pray for your church. Know and pray for your church. Pray for your leaders, your pastors, your elders. That God would protect us from ourselves. And we need you to hold us accountable. Get to know us. Not in a critical way, but in a genuine way. And if you have questions or you're struggling with a decision that was made, or you need clarity on something, please ask. We need that from you, desperately. And let me just say, I, while I have your attention, I feel that here. I want to thank you guys. You allow us as your leaders to be human. And you give us grace in our mistakes. And I know you're journeying with us, following Jesus together. So thank you. That's a gift to me and to so many who serve here. I, I want you to know that. We are not a perfect place. And we are not invincible by any means. But we work hard to be accountable and let me just say one more time, reveal survey. I know, I know, you're sick of it by now. But listen, this is, we have blind spots as a church. We need your help to see them. That's the heart behind that survey. One of the most tangible, direct applications of this sermon you can take today is take 15 minutes and fill that out, honestly. It will help us tremendously. You have no idea. Get to know us too. And pray for us. This is the last thing I want this church to be is a place that hurts people. Now, I need to clarify. Sometimes our job is to tell you things you maybe don't want to hear that we think are for your good and vice versa. That's your job too. But I don't want to be a place that's about manipulation or abuse or harm. And if you're here and you've been to a church like that, you've experienced that, I want to say I'm sorry. I am so sorry. That breaks my heart. Here's what I want to say to you if that's you. Okay, don't give up on Jesus. 
and don't give up on the, the church that he loves so much. I know it's been hard, I get it, but don't give up. And when you're ready, we'd love to help you. We'd love to process that with you. Okay, second thing, know and pray for yourself. Because let's be honest, no matter what your job title is, if you are a Christian, you are a leader. You're a spiritual leader. You are influencing people. You have no choice. So ask yourself, what are my weaknesses? And ask for God's help. Take seriously your stewardship. That your example as a spouse or a coworker or a friend or a sibling or a parent is just as influential, if not more so, than any pastor. So watch your conduct. Do you struggle with any of the things Jesus has talked about here? Do you like being the center of attention at work? Do you like the accolades when things are good? Do you shift the blame when things are bad? Do you major on the minor things in your own spiritual growth? It's okay if I do this because I do this. Are you training your children to just look good on the outside? Right? Just get good grades. That's all I ask you about. That's all I care about. Or are you talking to them about the heart? Are you one person in youth group or at church and another person with your friends or at work? Okay, these are not just pastoral problems. These are human problems. So know yourself. Pray for help and get accountability. Get people who can look inside the cup. And last, last thought, always run to Jesus. Always run to him. Your church, your pastor, your friends, your spouse, they will all let you down. Now, love them, serve them, commit to them, don't abandon them, but don't run to them. They cannot save you. Run to Jesus. He is the only one who does not, he will never abuse, he will never let you down, he will never disappoint. He fulfills what you could never do. He pursues you even to the point of his own death. He died for hypocrites like you and me. And he rose again so that these warnings, they don't have to define us anymore. And all he wants at the end of this passage is to gather you to himself. Are we willing? Can we be a church that runs to Jesus together no matter what our job title is or our age? No matter what? Don't you long for that? I do. You become like who you follow. So let's follow him together. Let's pray now. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I can't, I can't help but think of earlier in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus says that compared to the teaching of the Pharisees and the false teachers and people like them, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So often we run from you because we think it's easier somewhere else. It's not. So we come to you weary and heavy laden, asking for the rest of Jesus. Rest from legalism and hypocrisy. Rest from self-centeredness. Rest from hurt and pain. Help us to run to you and to turn our eyes from all distraction to see Jesus and to run to him always. We pray in his name. Amen.